talk on making the first commandment first. So if you have your Bibles, I will be quoting from the New King James Version. If your Bible turns to Mark chapter 12, verses 28 to 31. Because these guys have eaten into all my time. I only have a little bit of time left. So I'm just going to try and say a few things. I've given out the notes, so I don't know how you do it in your churches. Uh, you can have access to the notes if you please. Mark chapter 12. From verse 28, he says, Then one of the scribes came, and having heard, him, having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, Which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Before we examine making the first commandment first, I want to ask you a question. It's a rhetorical question, but maybe you can think about it yourself. How much would you say you love God? How much do you really love God? We sing our songs, you know, we say the statements, Lord, I love you with all my heart. I love you with everything. But really and truly, in the, with the lens of the Holy Spirit in our lives, on our hearts, how much do you really love God? Now, the Lord was asked the question, what is the first commandment or the greatest commandment of all? In other words, what is the most important requirement that God has for the human spirit? What is the one thing above everything else that God considers of the utmost priority? You see, at times as believers, we say things like, we want to know our purpose. We want to know why we're alive. We want to know what it is we're supposed to do with our lives. Well, here it is. The most important requirement that God has is that we love him with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. Now, God gives us these commandments because they are within our reach. Sometimes when we see these commandments, we think that, yeah, it will only really take place when Jesus comes or in the age to come. But, beloved, this is a commandment that is within our reach now that the Lord wants us to pursue. 1 John 5, 3 tells us that this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. His commandments are not burdensome. The love of God is that we keep his commandments, and that his commandments are not burdensome. Now, before we analyze this further, I want to say this. I want us to examine this. What it means to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, soul, and strength. What does that really mean? Because it's easy to say, I love God with all my heart. But how do I love God with my mind? How do I love God with my strength? And when the Lord answered the question, he highlights these four areas of our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, as the four arenas that when, when channeled or focused correctly will enable us to obey the first commandment, which really is, to love God with our whole being, to love God completely with everything that we have. So what does it mean to love God with all our heart? Simply put, loving God with all our heart 
is making God our primary focus or focusing, God, focusing on God or allowing the focus of God to be the dominant influence on our hearts and in our lives that affects everything else that we do. So if I claim to love God with all my heart, what it will mean is that everything that I seek to do with my life will be influenced by what he says and what he wants to do in my life. Whether it's my preaching or whether it's how I am at home with my children, it will be influenced with my focus on him and what his requirements are for me. The heart is very interesting. That word in the Hebrew is a very interesting word. And it really speaks of the center of our being. It's like the seat or the place where all the decisions are made. When you look it up, it, it, it's a funny word. It, it's like it just says center. So it's like the heart of our body, the heart of our soul, the heart of our spirit. It's dealing with the, the, the inner being of any person, any person, any person. Proverbs 4.23 says this. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Your heart really is the core of your being. And in New Testament language, you will be saying your spirit or your inner man. And when you love God with all your heart, we, you are really saying that God, you are the most important person to me. That's really what you're saying. You're the most important person to me. And because of that, my actions are informed by you. Sometimes as believers, we like to place God in a box. We're driving our car and uh, we're singing our songs of worship and then someone crosses us. Then we, we say, hold on God, wait with the worship. Nata. And then carry on. In the name of greater than it all, greater than it all. <laughs> yeah. But when you love God with all your heart, it informs those little things. So when you say, nah, no, sorry. Nice. Praise the Lord. <laughs> and sometimes you actually look stupid because you, you find yourself doing something, then you catch yourself, and then you, you have to, you can either decide to style it, you know what I mean by that? Pretend or you know, act like you weren't really trying to do that. I'll say style it, style it out. Is that, is that English? Is that English? Anyway. Or you can just say, no, actually, I was about to swear, but sorry, I'll, I'll take it back. Can you imagine? Sorry. Psalm 91, verse 14 says this. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will send him on high because he has known my name. But what I want you to see in this verse is that you can set your heart to love God. You can choose to love God. In fact, you can choose to love anybody because we know love is a choice. And when you set your heart in any direction, your emotions increase over time in that direction. So when you set your heart to love God, over time you find your emotions will follow in that same direction. This is why sometimes you can fall in love with the wrong person. Amen. You can. You, you, you meet someone absolutely gorgeous, but they're not for you. So you can choose not to fall in love. You can't say, oh, I'm just a helpless victim of love. 
You're not a helpless victim. You set your heart in a direction and then your emotions follow. So when we say that we love God with all our hearts, we're really saying, like I've said earlier, he's the most important person to us. And everything else about who we are and what we want our life is submitted to him and what he requires of us. Secondly, what does it mean to love God with all your soul? Our soul speaks of our personality. It speaks of our feelings as well. And we can unite our heart to something. And by uniting our hearts to something, the feelings again follow. So for instance, you find in 1 Samuel 18 verse 1 and verse 3 about David and Jonathan. He says that now when he had finished speaking to Saul, David is finished speaking to Saul. He says that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Then Jonathan, verse 3, said, made a covenant with David. Jonathan David made a covenant before because he loved him as his own soul. Now, what I want you to notice in this is this, is that loving God with all our soul is really where we decide to bind our soul or our personality to God. So the saying where people say something like this, this is the way I am, take it or leave it, it's a nonsense saying for a New Testament Christian. You can say amen or just nod. <laughs> because the reality is, as a New Testament believer, we are supposed to be transformed into the image of the inner man or the new man that is in us that has been made after the image of Christ our Lord. So our personality, over time, because we love God, begins to conform to the image of the new man inside of us. So the, the issue that, as for me, this is the way I am, and so you better take it or leave it, because otherwise I'll break your jaw, it can't be said for the New Testament believer. God commands us to love him with all our soul, because it is through whom we unite our soul with that we gain our sense of identity and belonging. Whoever you unite your soul with, you have an affinity to. That's why people choose to go to certain churches. They choose the church because they feel a sense of identity and belonging. People don't go to a church simply because the preaching is good or the worship is good or, or whatever. They go to places over time because they feel a sense of belonging. Amen. That's how it is. You can have a, a really rubbish teaching ministry. The guy doesn't know how to preach the Bible, but the church will grow because the people, when they come, that they feel loved. They feel like they belong. If you don't believe me, look at Christian TV. <clears throat> Let's move on. <laughs> Loving God with all our soul involves making our relationship with him as the most important relationship we enter into. It is our decision to make our relationship with him the benchmark of every, for every other relationship we have. It is out of our relating with him that we decide how we relate to other people. What does it mean to love God with all our mind? Really, it is filling our minds or yielding our minds to what inspires love for God. 
That's what it means to love God with all our mind. It is yielding our minds and filling our minds with the things that please God and inspires us to love him more. So if I claim to love God with all my mind, but I fill my mind with things that defile me and undermine the love of God in me, I am not telling the truth. Romans 12.2 says this. Be not conformed or do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may be able to prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. If you want to know the will of God for your life, learn to yield your mind to the things that the word of God teaches about. The, the will of God should not be a mystery for us as New Testament believers because we have the Holy Spirit and we have the word of God. And as we fill our minds with the word of God and the ways of God, we are really loving God with our minds. Ephesians 4, 22 to 24, he says that we are to put off concerning our former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust or the deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. In other words, we are to constantly have a fresh and they constantly, constantly have a, a fresh and a, 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 a spiritual attitude towards God and his will and his ways. It's to be constant. Why? Because if it is not constant, we will allow the old man to influence how we think. So our Lord says we are to love him with all our heart. That means he's our primary focus. We are to love him with all our soul. That means he's our primary relationship. We are to love him with all our mind. That, is, that means his ways are the primary influence on our thinking. And then he says we have to love him with all our strength. What does that mean? It means we use our time and our resource and our finance and our influence to promote the love of God and the things that helps us to pursue him and his ways. Loving God with all our strength really is using our resources in such a way that it inspires love within us and inspires us to love other people. So if I say I love God with all my strength, but my actions demonstrate that I love myself, then I'm, I'm, I'm lying. I'm, I'm, I'm deluding myself. It's within reach. Now, when the first commandment becomes first in our lives, there are certain things that will happen. I want to highlight eight of these, seven of these, sorry. I want to read two portions of scripture and then briefly highlight each one of these points. John 14, 21 to 24. He says, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will love, or, sorry, you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Verse 23, Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. 
He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's, the Father's who sent me. Also, 1 John 4, 17 to 21. 4, 17 to 21. It says, His love has been perfected among us in this. We may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. These are very powerful and provocative scriptures. But I want to highlight eight things that demonstrates to us, that happens to us when we make the first commandment first in our life. And I want to encourage you, I'm, I'm challenging you, I'm challenging myself, I'm going to provoke and provoking myself, that whatever it is that you're engaged in, whatever it is God, you believe God has called you to, don't forget that the reason why you're walking the planet, and for from now onwards till eternity to eternity, this requirement will always be number one on your life. To love God with your whole being, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. So what happens when this is first in our lives? Number one, obedience to the will of God. You will live a lifestyle of obeying the word of God. Now, at times, we have very fuzzy and fluffy ideas about obeying the word of God or the will of God. I just love to obey the will of God. Listen, let me tell you. There are times it's nice to obey the will of God, but there are many times when it's not nice to obey the will of God. When it's awful to the natural man. You look really spiritual right now, but I'm telling you the truth. In John 14, 21, he says, he who has my commandments and keeps, him, keeps them, it is he who loves me. So if I want to see whether I love God, it's not by the, the feeling, oh, I just feel the love of God right now. Wonderful. We thank God for that. God bless your life. But it is whether, when he has a requirement of you that is clear in the word, you're willing to say, you know what? Amen. Lord, your word says this, so I'm just going to do it. Even though I think it doesn't make sense. I'm just going to do it anyway. John 14, 24, he says, He who does not love me does not keep my words. He who does not love me does not keep my words. You know, as a pastor, sometimes we try to make, we, we want it to be easy for our members. You know, they tell you, you know, I, I disobey the word of God. What's, is, it, is it bad? And we say, oh, don't worry about it. No, you worry about it. What do you mean don't worry about it? Worry about it. You disobeyed the word of God. Worry about it. What kind of foolishness? It's like we are wiser than God. Honestly. Oh, don't worry. That's my God still loves you. That's not the issue. God does love them. Yeah, but they've disobeyed the word. Tell them the truth and stop lying to them. Hallelujah. See, aren't you glad it's Stu who's pastoring you and Abby who's pastoring you right now? <laughs> Obedience to the will of God. If you love him, he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. I tell you, there are many times 
I wish the scriptures weren't written the way they were. I'm telling the truth. Then I could fornicate and commit adultery and it won't be a big deal. I could steal, I could lie, I could cheat this money for Ebola, I could spend it on myself. (laughs) It won't be a problem because God loves me. It's a big problem if you do that. Secondly, what happens when the first commandment is first? There's an increased experience of the love of God or the love of Father and Son. Now, this is a very interesting statement because we know that God loves us unconditionally. But there are degrees as to how we experience the love of God. Our Lord said something to Simon, the Pharisee, when he went to his house. He said to him in Luke 7, verse 47, he says this. This woman, because her sins are many, that are many are forgiven, she loves much. But the one who little is forgiven loves little. That's interesting. Because actually... All sin is sin. But I believe what the Lord is highlighting is this. The more you experience God's forgiveness, or you appreciate how much you've been forgiven, the easier or the the more you experience his love for you. And by the way, the more it is easier for you to forgive others. You want to measure how much you have experienced the love of God? It's in how you forgive people. How you forgive, how quick you forgive, how quick we forgive is an indication of how much of the love of God we're really experiencing. We can religialize it. We can, we can say all our charismatic statements of phrases, evangelical theological statements of love and forgiveness. It makes no difference. If you have experienced the love of God proper, it starts with recognizing your need for forgiveness. And when you recognize your need for forgiveness, it doesn't become an issue that you have to forgive others. You find in church, we Christians, we're not talking to each other. We harbor unforgiveness towards each other. We say things like, it doesn't matter. God is in control and you need to forgive. That's the thing. You need to forgive. We have all these funny statements. The scripture says, if your brother offends you, go and tell them their fault. If they will not listen, take one or two witnesses with you that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, all things are established. And if they will not listen, tell it to the church. How many Christians even try to practice it? Your brother or your sister has offended you and you say, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I'm not saying nothing. It matters. And then you shut yourself off and you say, this is our culture. This is the way we do it. Because you see, we are British. Listen, I'm British, but I'm telling you, it's not kingdom to do that. It's of the world and the system of the world. And if we love God, we'll be quick to forgive. Say to your neighbor, he's talking to you. (laughs) When the first commandment is first, you experience the love of God. You experience the love of father and son. It includes being transformed by the power of his love into the image of our Lord Jesus. It includes embracing his love, which results in our healing. It results in us being healed of the fracture that is in our souls. All of us have issues. Sometimes I tell the church, I wish whenever we all walk in, we all have our whole week plastered so that everybody will will, will relax. 
you know, you know, everybody we just see this is what we did. This is what Pastor Joe did. He swore he did this. He looked at that, 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 that. And by the way, this is what you did. That, that, that. Then you know what? We'll just all relax. Oh wow! I thought I was bad. You are. Oh my lord. Thirdly, when the first commandment is first, there's an increased revelation of our Lord Jesus. You want to know how much you know of the Lord? Again, it's measured, I believe, generally in how we express his character. How we express what he's like. Not with the head knowledge, the theology we have. Because, beloved, Satan has more theology than all of us. He has more doctrinal accuracy than all of us. But he says, love edifies. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. He says in um, um, John 14, 21, in the last part, he says that we will come to me and manifest, we will manifest, manifest myself to him. I will manifest myself to him. When a person loves me, Father and Son will come, and I will come to him and I will reveal myself to him. You see, he's not just talking about being born again. This is a continuous experience of an individual that is walking in the love of God and growing in the true knowledge of who our Lord Jesus is. The true knowledge of who our Lord Jesus is is reflected in your character. The Jesus that you know is in the Jesus that you reveal. Not what did he say. It's in how you reveal him. 2 Corinthians 3.18, but we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from, one, from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. With an unveiled face, as you behold his image, you are being changed by what you see into what you see. But it has to be with an unveiled face. You can't, have, you can't pretend with the Lord. I mean, many times when I, when I have an issue, let's say my wife, bless her, she's such a wonderful woman of God. If I have an issue with her and I decide to complain, Lord, you see how saying, look, 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 look what she's saying. He never, to today, 21 years of marriage, never, as he once said, you are right. <laughs> Shocking. He will always challenge me on what he expects of me. Never on what he expects of her. Amen. Number four, quickly. When the first commandment is first, we become a carrier of his manifest presence. Sure, he lives inside of us. But his manifest presence is what we reveal of him as we go about our business. He says in John 14, 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. He will become our dwelling place. Beloved, this is not just talking about the new birth experience. This is our consecration, as we are, our sanctification, as we are walking daily with him. Father and son reveals more of themselves to us. Yesterday's revelation is not enough, beloved. Man does not live by bread only, but by every word that proceeds, or every rhema that proceeds from the mouth of God. And that rhema is the direct word that he speaks to us on a daily basis. And when the first commandment is first in our lives, as the first priority in our lives, he will regularly, daily, over time, reveal himself. Father and son, more and more will be revealed in us will be at home in us and they will 
be manifest through us. Number five, when the first commandment is first, obedience to the second commandment will be obvious. There will be obedience to the second commandment. Often the church, we want to demonstrate to the world how relevant we are by pursuing the second commandment. But fail to recognize that true obedience to the second commandment can only come when we are wholeheartedly pursuing the first. But obedience to the second commandment is nonetheless very important. In 1 John 4, verse 20 and 21, he says, If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, or, another word for hate is hostile to his brother. Is hostile to his brother. Or, another word is dislikes his brother. You know, we have these sayings, I don't hate them, I just don't like them. Nonsense. It's nonsense. It's, we, we, sometimes we say foolishness, of course, not in Emmanuel Church or in Ecclesiastes. You know, I've even seen I suppose you don't do that. But honestly, if you ever did, it's nonsense. Anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? It's not possible. If I have an issue with my wife, and I'm not prepared to resolve the issue. Oh my shakabayanda rabba boom ba ba ba. Speaking in tongues, for those of you who don't know. All of that is just noise. First Corinthians 31. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and I've not loved, I am but a sounding gong or a clashing cymbal. It's just noise. He says in verse 21, this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. This implies that we love those who are different from us. Now I've had to check my heart and recognize that in my heart I've had racial prejudice. I've had it. And sometimes that old devil wants to sneak back. I know you... It's like, wow, racial, really? Never. We had a member of parliament the other day tell us, there's no racism in the conservative party. Yeah, whatever, let's move on. <laughs> we all have these struggles. Loving those who are different from us. It's easy to love those who are like us. But it's hard to love those who are different from us. It means we welcome those who will not be naturally welcome to us. We welcome those who naturally would be unwelcome to us. I remember many years ago, I, I used to live in a, a hostel and there was quite a few people who were kind of homeless or, well not homeless, but were hostile and I used to bring them to church and they didn't really check the shower. So when we come to church, they stank. And uh, as they would come to church and as they stank, with me and them together, as the people came near, praise the Lord, oh, brother, <laughs> I found it very strange. I honestly thought the first time, naively, that the Christians would have just run and just welcomed them. But now they were like, why? <laughs> I wonder if you've ever done that in your heart. When the first commandment, second commandment is first, or not first, when we're pursuing the second commandment, we are motivated to serve when it is inconvenient to. 
when we are pursuing the second commandment as we should, we're challenged to forgive what would be unforgivable for us. It informs us how we should give when we would rather withhold. Yeah. Six, quickly. When the first commandment is first, we represent him with confidence, both in this life and also on the last day. He says in 1 John 4, 17, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment. Wow, what a statement. Because as he is, so are we in this world. If there is one thing we need to recapture, it's a paradigm of the last day. It's a day all of us will face. It's a day we have to be ready for. I tell the Lord, please, on my last day here, I don't want to be ashamed. Then I say, on my last month, I don't want to be ashamed. Then I say, on my last year, I don't want to be ashamed. My last decade, I don't, in fact, you know what, I don't want to be ashamed from now onwards. It's a constant prayer. But it is rooted when we are pursuing the first commandment. Because on that day, when we stand before him, he wants us to be confident. He wants us to be fully confident on that day. Last but not least, when the first commandment is first, there is freedom. There is freedom from fear and its effects. 1 John 4.18 says this, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. When the first commandment is our number one priority, the opinions of men are secondary. We are bold in the face of danger. It doesn't mean we don't feel fear, but we don't yield to the fear. We stand for what is right, not what is popular. We refuse to yield to that which will cause us to compromise because of fear. Beloved, I encourage you to make the first commandment first because that is the reason why you're here on earth. Amen. Let's pray. I want to pray into two areas. As I was waiting on the Lord, just want to pray first of all, for those of us who have felt like we lost our way in God, we've lost our way in God, whatever that means to you, you feel like you've lost your way in God because of time, I don't want you to come to the front, but if that is you and you're saying, Lord, I want to re-consecrate myself to you, I want to do that. I want you to stand and I want to pray with you in agreement that the Lord will give you grace as you stand to make the first commandment first. You feel like you've lost your way, but you want, you're saying, Lord, I want to reconnect with you. I want you to stand where you are quickly. As you stand, just lift your two hands to the Father in surrender and just tell him, Father, thank you for your word. Today, I yield my heart afresh to you to make the first commandment first. You know, so many times I find I lose my way. You can be preaching and doing all this stuff and you've lost your way. You look good before men, but you've lost your way. She stand, I want to pray over you. Just ask for the Lord to give you grace. I want to invite anyone else who wants to stand quickly before we pray. Father, thank you for these precious men and women that are standing right now. Thank you for their hearts. Thank you for their lives. Thank you that you love them. And that you've drawn them to yourself because you love them. 
And Father, I pray for your mercy and your grace upon them right now. Lord, as they stand in faith before you, let your spirit empower them afresh to walk in the good of the first commandment. Whatever it is that they are standing concerning, I pray that your grace will be extended to them in the name of Jesus. I pray your blessing upon them in the name of Jesus. Amen. The Lord bless you. You may take your seat. Second area, and then I'll hand over to Steve. If, I want to pray for those of us who have been tormented by fear. In some way, fear has had a hold on us, especially of late. If that's you, I want you to stand where you are. I want to pray with you. It's nothing to be ashamed of. I know what it's like to be terrified. I know what it's like to be terrified. And the impulse to yield to the terror, I know what that's like. But God gives you grace, the antidote to fear. It's not faith, it's love. It's when you allow God to pour his love in your heart. When you say yes to the acceptance and the belonging of your father. That's what love is. Unconditional kindness. Unconditional welcoming. Unconditional acceptance. Unconditional generosity. That is the essence of agape. That is the essence of the agape love that is referred to. God is unconditionally gracious to you, welcoming of you, kind to you, tender of you. And whatever is tormenting you, whatever is making you afraid, as you stand there, just lift your hands and just tell him, Father, I give this to you. I give this to you. You may need input afterwards. You may need ministry afterwards. You may need counseling afterwards. You may need to see someone afterwards. But today, you're making a marker and you're saying no to that fear. And so, Father, in the name of Jesus, I bless these men and women that are standing right now. And I ask, Father, that your grace will be extended to them. Lord, I ask in the name of Jesus for strength. Lord, will you reveal your heart of love towards these precious ones? I reboot the spirit of fear, and I speak peace into their hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.